Open your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 2. Our, our, our series is on true faith. We've looked at how true faith endures trials and deals with trials, and that is through joy. We looked at the practice of true faith, the practice of restraint, um, of, um, of true religion, practice of the Word. And today I want us to look at the character of true faith. The character of true faith. The, the first century church was far from perfect. Uh, they struggled with theological issues. We see this particularly in the book of Galatians when Paul says how quickly you are deserting. Um, the Judaizing element that was constantly dogging the church, that, that they needed to keep the, uh, the law, that they needed to become Jewish before they could become Christian. They struggled with multiple lifestyle issues. We, it, again, it never ceases to amaze me how Paul had to say, okay, you guys got to stop going into the temple prostitutes. Uh, that's not something we do anymore. And they dealt with ethnic issues. The early church was really struggled with how do we, um, how do we uh, coexist as Jew and Gentile? Uh, because both of them came from radically different cultural backgrounds. But we're going to see today that there was a, another challenge that they faced, and that was the challenge of, uh, I guess you could just say, the, the economic challenges, the, ri- the rich and the poor that were in the church. Um, what I'd like to do is, is, is read the entire text first um, today and then uh, go back and, and take a look at some parts. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold, our faith, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say... You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has not shown mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me just draw your attention to a couple of just initial observations. 
Although the church struggled, certainly the churches that, that, that James wrote to and uh, addressed uh, were struggling with rich and poor issues, James never advocated class warfare. He never pitted the rich against the poor. He never pitted the poor against the rich. Um, that's number one. Number two, James never advocated any kind of coercive steps to achieve some kind of utopian equality. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find anywhere in the Bible where this kind of approach to inequity of, of resources is advocated. It's not. In fact, number three, James never condemns the rich for being rich. This is not going to be the last time he addresses the rich and poor in this, in this letter. Never does he condemn the rich for being rich. He doesn't, he doesn't condemn them for being rich. He condemns them for other things, but not for being rich. These are, these are important observations. In fact, in this text, being rich really isn't even the issue. The, the, the rich... Rich people are not even really the issue. And, and, and so often I've heard it preached this way, at least not concerning anything. There's no indication that the rich that he, is, that he is talking about have done anything wrong whatsoever. Not in this text. Later texts, maybe not so much. Well, what's the issue then? If he's not advocating class struggle and class warfare and pitting rich against the poor and these these dirty, nasty, rich people who have, who have uh, uh, become rich off the poor, the backs of the poor, um, and they should have their money taken from them and redistributed to, to, to everyone. Uh, he never condemns them for, you know, for being rich. The, the, what then is the issue in James chapter 2? Look with me again at verse 1. My brethren, do you not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. What's the problem that he is addressing in James chapter 2? Personal favoritism. What's favoritism? Special attention? Yeah, Larry? Preferring something or someone over against another? Yeah. It is, it is favoring one, and usually against another, another uh, as opposed to another. So it's not just, you know, I like Mitch and, and I want to do, I want to, I want to bless Mitch. I want to, you know, I want to serve Mitch. It is, I want to do that as opposed to Jordy. Although I do, I do want to do Jordy. It, it was personal favoritism. So the general problem is partiality, showing favoritism to a particular group. And, and we see in verses 2 and 3 what group it was. Now, here's what's interesting. I think verses 2 and 3 were not, was not what was actually happening. I think he's using this as an example to illustrate what the, the attitude and the character that they were displaying. In fact, um, we see this in some of our translations. The beginning of verse 2 says, For if... I mean, this is, a, this is a condition, if for chance. The, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, for example, I like that, for example. The NIV says, suppose. So he's, 
he's, he's, he's, he's, ad, he's talking about a hypothetical situation to illustrate their attitude to their character. He says, For suppose, let's say a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes, and you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down by my footstool. It would be like you know, the, 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 the guy who pulls up out front in a, I'm, so I'm going to date myself now, in a Mercedes. He pulls out front in a Mercedes, and he and his wife get out, and she's wearing a, a fur coat, and they're wearing very expensive cowboy boots. And uh, they, they used to go to Texas Tech. And uh, no, if, if an obvious rich person, they're not, if an obvious rich person comes in the door and, and we rush over and we give, everybody rushes over to them and we hand them a, a visitor packet. And we say, that, you know, introduce ourselves and we talk and there's coffee and there's cookies and we take care of them. And we come in and we make sure that they're seated right and we sit with them and we get to know them. But then a guy that slept out front comes in what do we do that, 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 that's really what he's addressing he's given a hypothetical situation that that this would illustrate the, the nature and the character of what you guys are doing um, that, that you in fact are showing favoritism towards those who are rich over against the poor again it has nothing to do with what the rich were or were not doing or what the poor were or were not doing. It, it is, he's talking to the Christians. He's talking to the church. Now, it's interesting. Uh, if, if you look at two, verses 2 and 3, uh, what is the setting that, that he uses as, as this illustration, this example? Well, some advocate that he's talking about that this is a judicial setting, that this is a, a church court, if you will, um, and that uh, later on we see things like, uh, well, verse 4, we're going to see, he talks about you become judges with evil motives. That, that throughout this, this passage, there, there's, there's kind of a feeling of kind of a, a judicial flavor to it. That this might have been some kind of uh, ecclesiastical court that they had. That, that, that um, they were ruling in favor of, of the rich as opposed to the poor. I just don't think there's enough evidence to point that direction. I think clearly this is a church meeting. Um, because he talks about uh, one, of the, one of the only places that we see this word synagogue. It's interesting, James still talk, calls the church a synagogue at this point. Um, I think this is clearly a, a church meeting um, that, that James uses as an example to illustrate um, their favoritism and the favoritism that they were showing towards those who were, were wealthy. Now the question is, why would a church show favoritism to the rich? Think about it for a minute. I don't think you have to think real hard. <laughs> yeah, I do need a personal jet, by the way. I can't fly coach. By the way, let me just say, rich is an elu- the, the, the category rich is kind of an elusive concept, isn't it? I mean, what, what does it mean to be rich? At what point does a person become rich? How, how do you define rich? Well, you have more than you need. Well, then most people are rich. I, it is. It is. If you think about it, it is a. It is a very elusive concept. So we need to be careful uh, when we start throwing the, the words rich and poor around. Now, obviously, it's kind of the old um, 
who was the Supreme Court justice when dealing with uh, obscenity, said, I'm not sure how to define it, but I know it when I see it. But even that is elusive. What I may consider rich, you may not consider rich. So, so, so again, but there has to be at least some objective uh, quality to it, or James wouldn't be able to, to tell them uh, or make distinction between rich and poor. Okay, that, okay. Well, well, return to the question. Why, why would a church show favoritism to the... Why would we want to curry up to the rich people? Why would I want to curry up to John Elway or... Who else is rich in Denver? Not many rich people in Denver. I don't know any rich people. I mean, think about it. Why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, many ways. Well, personal gain. I mean, who, who, who? We want to paddle around with. We want to name drop. I, uh, I, I, uh, I met with. Uh, I don't know. Who, I John, Why does John Elway's name always come up? I don't know. Who else is rich in this town? Well, name any Bronco, I guess, or I, I don't even know who the Broncos are anymore. Personal gain. We, we, we like the, you know, why this fascination with Hollywood and pro athletes? We, we like, there's something about that. But obviously, in terms of a church, why would a church corporately want to curry favor with the rich? Uh, we, building program. That's exactly right. Danny's been at a Baptist church, I can tell. Status, prestige, power. I, 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 I visited a church once that uh, the entire pew uh, had the name of a family on it. And they had basically, they were a, a very powerful, rich, powerful family church. And they, had, they wanted one pew just for their family. And that was reserved for them a gold plate, a copper plate on, on the edge of the pew for the whole pew. I've been in churches where, uh, where the rich basically run the church. Um, one in particular. And it wasn't fellowship, for those of you that are wondering. Cater the rich. Powerful. Money. Pay for our building. Pay for private, <laughs> private jets. The bottom line is, we want the church, we want to curry favor as individuals, and we want to curry favor, our tendency to curry favor the rich, because they can do something for us. Or we perceive that they can do something for us. And, and, and here's kind of the big idea as we move forward that I want us to look at in terms of James chapter 2. Is you can tell the character of a person by how they treat someone who can do nothing for them. You can tell the character of a person by the way they treat Another person who can do nothing for them. I think that's what he's getting at in terms of the character of true faith in James chapter 2. The bottom line, what is really wrong with this? Well, in verses 4 through 13, James will give us five reasons, five things why this is wrong. Why this is in fact a sinful, this, this demonstrates a sinful character. Verse 4. When you, when you do this, when you show personal favoritism at the expense of the poor, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives, with evil thoughts? It's interesting how he talks about making distinctions. 
What kind of distinctions could there be? Obviously, distinctions between how much money they have or how much they own. By the way, um, let, let me just say this. There were a lot of good, holy, godly, rich people in the early church. Remember Acts, at the very beginning in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, what were the rich doing? They were liquidating their assets and giving it to the poor. <laughs> so be careful as we read through the book of James and we read through the Bible, not all rich people are evil. Not all, not all poor people are godly. So James is dealing with a specific context but even, even in that, he's not talking about all the rich, as we'll see in a minute. But he says, you're making these distinctions, these distinctions as it terms, as it, what, what value a person has. I think that's the, the primary distinction. He's saying, we, we make a judgment and distinction on the value of that person based on their, their economic status. And he says, when we do that, when you do that, You've become a judge with an evil motive. Um, this is in a different context, but look over chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, 4, verse 11. He says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now it's a different context, but he's saying there's only one judge. There's only one who makes those, who has been given the authority to make those kind of distinctions of value. James says it ain't you. And when we do that, he says you do it with evil. Now, now the question is, do they do that because of evil motives? Or do, when they do that, it, it displays or manifests their evil motives. Well, probably both. These evil motives of a personal gain, perhaps, more than likely. So he says the first thing that's wrong with this is, you set yourselves up as, the, as a judge to make these kind of distinctions between the value of people based on their finances. On their wealth. That's the first thing. What's the second thing? Verses 5 and 6. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. The second thing is we despise or we dishonor who God has honored. So he's saying, the very people that I have honored, you are dishonoring them. You are despising them. Now, um, again, we have to take this in terms of a, a, a general condition, not in every single case. For instance, to turn with me back to uh, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, 
not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. He's saying the, the, the very people... I mean, and by the way, he doesn't say God is, um, that there were not any wise according to the flesh, not any mighty, not any noble. There were some, but not many. In, in terms of the early church, there were not many influential, wealthy, influential people who were coming to know the Lord. In, in fact, um, uh, at one time in my life, I actually considered starting my D-men not demon, demon. And that first, uh, they call them seminars. That first seminar was a waste of time and money. <laughs> All you do is they'd have you read a book. Well, they'd have you read about six books, and you'd meet once a week and talk about them and then write a paper, and then you'd have to pay them $10,000 or whatever. I don't know. But I remember meeting a guy in, in the seminar that I took, and he was a missionary in, in France. And uh, he was he was home on on an extended I don't know home assignment I'm not sure what they called it but and he was working on his D men and he was telling me about his church in France he said a a a, a really big evangelical church in France has maybe 20 people a really strong large church and most of those are women or kind of the dregs, what, what they consider the dregs of their society. And that, 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 that seems to be how the church started. That there were wealthy, there were influential, there were uh, those people in the church, but by and large, it was, it was, your, it was your down and outers. What, what, at least what the world considers your down and outers. In 1 Corinthians, he says that, that for the most part, God chose to do this, that no one boasts before the Lord. How many times have you said, man, if, if, if only so-and-so, a, a celebrity or a, 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 a sports star, if only they would come to know the Lord, man, what a, what a powerful testimony that they would have. And many people come to know the Lord. We're always looking at the celebrities and the, the wealthy and the powerful. Boy, what, if, what, what, if, what if Tom Cruise just rejected Scientology and became a... A, a, a sold-out believer in Jesus Christ. What all the, Think of all that could be done. Well, you don't think there would be some Baptist churches want him come to their church? But God says, listen, for the most part, I, the, the, these are the people, the, the, these people that you are devaluing, that you are uh, sit here and sit there, these are the very people that have responded to me. These are the very people who've had nothing and they've come to me and I've honored them by giving them life. I've honored their faith and their life and whereas opposed to the, these rich people have not. Why would we want to honor those or dishonor those God has honored? We despise or we dishonor when we do this, when we when we show personal favoritism, either on a personal level or on a corporate level, if we did, we would be dishonoring the very people that God has, in fact, honored. Number three, the second part of verse six, back in James. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. 
Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? The third reason in these verses is we honor those who oppress us. In other words, he's saying, on the one hand, you dishonor the one I'm honoring, and conversely, you honor the one who dishonors you and dishonors me. There's some fascinating words in here. Um, The first one is, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Now think about that for a minute. What would be the possible reason for a rich person dragging a poor person into court? They drag you into court. They're, They're the ones who drag you into court. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too, Blake. Um, perhaps, we're going to read later on that, that, that there, there were rich landowners that were, um, that, that were uh, not paying the, the workers, particularly the Christian workers. And perhaps they were dragging them into court to, to, uh, to legally justify not paying them. I'm just surmising. I'm just speculating. We don't really know the nature of this. We, we do know that, uh, that Christians were dragged into court for being Christians. I mean, that's, look, what, remember what Paul, Paul went, before he became Paul, he was Saul, and he, what, what did he do? He dragged Christians into court. Uh, so perhaps that was, the, that was the case too, that these were rich people, these were rich unbelievers who were dragging the poor into court uh, or the, by virtue of them being Christians or whatever. We, we really don't know. But, but the, the general implication is these are people who are oppressing you, who, who are treating you badly. But not just treating you badly, but what, the worst part of it, look at verse 7 again. They blaspheme the fair name by which you be called. Make no mistake about it, blasphemy is not just something, not just something a professed believer commits. Um, blasphemy is something that unbelievers commit too. Again, what is the nature of this blasphemy? He he says, they blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called. In what sense were they blaspheming Christ? Perhaps it was literal blasphemy of his name, that they were blaspheming the name of Jesus, that they 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 were dismissing him and they were saying he's nothing. But it also could include they were blaspheming him by their treatment of his, of his children. The treatment of God's people. Maybe they were blaspheming Christ because of the way that he treated God's people. We do know this. That Remember when, Paul, when Saul was on his way to Damascus and, and he had, uh, when Jesus confronted him? And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said to, Paul, or to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Well, in what sense was he persecuting Jesus, well, he was persecuting his people, and God sees that as you persecuting me. So when you blaspheme God's people, you're blaspheming him. When you treat his people, with, when you oppress and you cheat God's people, you are blaspheming and cheating God. It's blasphemy. 
We set ourselves up as judges with evil motives. We despise or we dishonor those God who, who God has, in fact, very the very ones God has honored. In fact, we honor those who dishonor us, dishonor the poor, and dishonor Christ. But number four, verses 8 through 11. <coughs> Excuse me. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The fourth reason is we break the royal law. What's the royal law that James says here? Love your neighbor as yourself. He calls this the royal law. This is the law of the kingdom. This is, this is how we treat people in this kingdom. We love our neighbor as ourselves. And remember the, the parable in Luke 15 uh, of um, the, uh, the parable of the pro, uh, not prodigal son. The, 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 uh, so I just lost my train of thought. He's on the, he's on the, 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 the priest. The Good Samaritan. I'm sorry. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Golly. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and and that, that whole parable was given because one of the, the, the rulers in the audience says, and who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And, and what did Jesus teach him in that? Basically, anybody who is in need. Because the Jews interpreted this royal law as, I am to love my neighbor as myself. Well, my neighbor is my fellow Jew and my fellow Jew only. I only do the Jews. So here he applies it to them from the standpoint of you fail to really, he's talking about you fail to fulfill the royal law of the scripture that you love your neighbor as yourself and your neighbor is the poor just as much as it is the rich. This was proclaimed by Christ. This was taught by Paul. This is a reoccurring theme that we see throughout Scripture. And then he addresses this whole issue. Well, well, that's not so bad. It's not like I'm committing murder. It's not like I'm committing adultery. And so James responds to that. How does he respond to that? He says, uh, yeah, it kind of is. It'd be like, okay, this, this would be, uh, you try to pull this one off. Uh, you're, you, you're driving down Hamden Avenue, 80 miles an hour. And, uh, and you, you'll, you'll have to stop at every light. I might add that. You will have to stop at every light. Uh, but in between lights, you're doing 80 miles an hour, and a policeman pulls you over. And he's going to give you a ticket. You go, wait, 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 wait. At, at least I didn't murder anybody. Why should I get a ticket? I didn't murder anybody. I didn't commit armed robbery. It was just going a little too fast. Do you think you're going to get a ticket? Yeah. Why? You broke the law. <laughs> you see, see, we have this notion sometimes, I think, it's not that bad, or it's no big deal. If I, if I treated a poor person like that, it's not like it's not like I shot him. 
why are we, why are we making such a big fuss over this? And he says, if you break one point of the law, you've broken all of it. Finally, he says, this is a sinful practice because in so doing we violate the law of liberty. Look at me at verses 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now these are a little difficult. It's interesting to me, and, and, and this is really probably uh, to, to be, it should be addressed as a, as a sermon or a series in and of itself, and this whole, is, this whole issue of judgment. Um, I, I took a look. I actually did take a look at a couple of commentaries, and it was interesting to me how the ones I looked at said that uh, that he's talking about uh, actual Christians who will be judged, and they said that they will they'll get they'll go to heaven, but they'll they'll lose rewards. And I looked and looked and looked in verses 12 and 13. I didn't see anything talking about rewards. Um, number two is. Uh, judgment, since when do we get awarded rewards when we're judged? Having said all that, though, I think the text itself leads us to believe that, that, that he's not talking about them. Look with me again at verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Now, I suppose you could, you could take the, the those and say, the those, James is talking about them. The those is the them. I don't think that's the case. I, I think he's saying, I want you guys to act as if, as those who would be judged by the, you know, if you were to be judged by, if you were to be judged by the law of liberty, you would not pass the test. So act as if, you were those who were going to be judged according to the law of liberty. Does that make sense? I think that's the sense of it. I've never understood this. And I know that there are some texts that would lead us, that seem to say that we're going to be judged, that we're going to have to give an account. What does that mean? When does that happen? Oh, for instance, if I, if I stroked out right now, the, the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I would be immediately present with the Lord, awaiting my resurrection of the body, whenever that comes. Jesus comes again. I'm reunited with my body, and I'm raised. Exactly when does this judgment take place? So I'm with Jesus. I'm personally with Jesus. When do I have to answer for my sins or when do I lose these rewards at what point does Jesus say okay you're with me right now but that's just temporary because you're going to have to give an account Brooks you're going to have to give an account number three what does that mean when we say we have to give an account what is the implications of that very concept when I have to give an account for how I live my life Got some explaining to do. There, there's, there's an implication. Accountability means what? 
judgment, some kind of discipline, sometimes of punishment, sometimes... What? I don't think he's talking about them. I don't think he's talking when, you know, when you treat people like this, you're going to help behold, you know, at the, the law of liberty, your, your rewards are going to be taken away, and you're going to have to give an account for this, but you're already with Jesus, so... Yeah. Yeah, purgatory makes sense in that. Yeah. I think he's saying, at, speaking at, treat people like you would as if you were going to be held, be judged by that. That's how serious this is. Be Act as those who were actually being, were going to be held accountable. He says, by the law of liberty. Notice there's no capital L. I think that that's, that's appropriate. This is, I think this is not the law, not capital L. This is a law in the sense of governing principles. Where do I get that? Uh, uh, quickly, turn to Romans chapter 8. Let me give you another example of law, being used, the word law being used as a governing principle. Romans chapter 8, he says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. These are small L's, small law. This law is talking about a governing principle. In other words, for the governing principle of the spirit of life that sets you free from the governing principle of sin. Not every time the word law is mentioned is it talking about the law. So he's saying this governing principle of liberty, this law of liberty, this, this principle of liberty, I take that to mean the gospel. The, 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 because what does he say the gospel did? The gospel set them free. It is for freedom that Christ set them free. The law of liberty. And so he's saying, if act and speak as those who will judge, even under the governing principle of liberty, they will be judged. You would be judged. In fact, Paul says in First Second Corinthians 5, he says, you know... I used to view people from the standpoint of the flesh, but I don't anymore. And he goes on to say, for we are, we are new creatures in Christ. The principle that we know... What's the principle of the law of liberty? It's, it is we no longer measure people by human standards. We no longer measure them by their ethnicity. We no longer measure them by their gifts, by their social standing, by their possessions, by their wealth. These are sinful, artificial standards. We no, longer view, we no longer value people by their intelligence or the, the, the degrees that they have. We no longer value those over others because of their wealth, because of the job they have, because of their looks. In fact, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. For judgment will be merciless to one who has not shown mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. When we show mercy and grace to those who can do nothing for us, we demonstrate true faith. What's the conclusion? Quickly, three things. The great definer D-E-F-I-N-E-R, to define, the great definer. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God said, let us make man in what? 
our image, male and female. In fact, Paul said in Acts 17, that great sermon he gave on the Areopagus, and he says that we've all been made of one blood, literally one blood. There's only one race, the human race. The only, the only difference is, is the amount of serotonin in our skin. Melatonin? What's serotonin? Oh, well, for some of us, that's also the case. Thank you. And me saying serotonin is a case in point of, of that. Made of one blood. The great, listen, we, we have equal value by virtue of we're all made in God's image. We, are, we, we bear the image of God. The great definer is what, is what is, is, that's, there is no distinction. We all made in the image of God. Rich, poor, black, white, smart, dumb, skinny, fat. Which leads to the second thing is the great exemplar. What's an exemplar? We, this is a word that we use, uh, not we, but that is used uh, for a textual transmission. The, the, the text that a scribe would copy from, we call that the exemplar. It is the model. It is the, the pattern that's to be copied. So who is our great exemplar when it comes to this, this how we are to treat the rich and poor? Uh, Romans chapter 2. You might want to just jot this down if you want. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. There is no partiality with God. If we want to be like God, we will not show partiality. He is our exemplar. He is our model. He is our pattern to be copied. Number three is the great equalizer. The great equalizer. What's the great equalizer between people? Is it? What is it? Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is neither rich nor poor. I added that. For you are all one. In Christ Jesus. The great equalizer is the gospel. That, that when we, on Sunday mornings, when we, when we sing hymns and choruses and praise songs, and our brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa are singing praise hymns and choruses and praise songs, um, that, that, that is the great equalizer. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin. What, what draws us and brings us together is the gospel, our shared faith in Jesus Christ. I think James is saying you can tell the true character of a person by the way by the way they treat someone who could do nothing for them. And I think you can tell the true nature of a church by the way they treat people. The way they treat those who can do nothing for them. The character of true faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of your people. Thank you for their attentiveness. Father, I pray that these words would ring would ring true of us, that 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 this would be a place that, um, that uh, no one is preferred over the other, that we all share equal value by virtue of bearing the image of you, and that we would be like you who shows no partiality, 
And Lord, that that the power of the gospel would draw us together to our brothers and sisters in Christ, both in Aurora and around the world. Father, may we, each, each one of us as individuals, regardless of who walks through that door, whether they're rich or they're poor, that they receive, they are perceived as having the same value and they are treated the same way, regardless of who they are, what they look like, what they have, what they don't have. Because when we do that, we are like our Lord, who does not show partiality. Father, again, thank you for your word. We pray all these things in the name of the one who valued us, who were poor, uh, infinitely poor, and on our way to hell. And he died for us. We thank you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join hands?